Open your Bibles to John 9, and we will read uh, verses 39 through 41 for our scripture reading this morning. John 9, verses 39 through 41. And Jesus said, For judgment I have come into this world, that those who do not see, may see, and that those who see may be made blind. Then some of the Pharisees who were with him heard these words and said to him, Are we blind also? Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no sin. But now you say, We see, therefore, your sin remains. David will now bring the message. Good morning. Happy Sabbath. I, uh, every week, seems like I can bring some kind of chaos to the table. And uh, this week's no exception. <laughs> you know, every time I want to go preach, Satan always tries to have some other plan. You know, he tries to change it and try to make a mess of it. And, and uh, But uh, it seems that uh, God always has a different plan. You know, he always makes sure that, uh, you know, through all those struggles, you know, there's something I can bring to the table about that. And uh, This week, you know, I'd, well, well, the last time I preached, uh, my car was breaking down and and uh, and I and I figured, oh, it's it's typical because I'm preaching, and so you know Satan's going to kick me with my head down and make my teeth all bloody, and I'm just going to look at him and say, is that all you got? I mean, come on, you're talking to this guy that you know that's that's uh, really has decided to give himself to the Lord, and uh, so um, the car got fixed and it was great, and what a story that was that. Um, somebody actually came along. I actually had to hitchhike over to Napa to go pick up a part, you know, and, and, uh, this guy picked me up, you know, no more than 20 minutes of hitchhiking. I was only 400 feet away from my house and, and, uh, you know, and then, uh, I, I called him at the time. I was so bummed out because, uh, I, I bought a part, you know, and they, I didn't really need it. And so it was a lot of money and, and I called him communist Kia at the time because they said, well, thank you very much. We'll give you a check. I was like, oh. And this guy had never met me before that picked me up. And he's like, you know what? I'll, I'll give you $200. I'll just give you the money that you need to go fix your car. And then you just go ahead and give it back to me. Now I'm on the way back home. He gives me a ride back home. And uh, this is, you know, from Angwin to Napa. It's pretty, pretty far. And um, as I'm coming home, I'm getting a call from my, from my father's uh, wife, who I just met my father for the first time since I was six years old. Um, this summer, and so this really nice lady I've never even met before. She's you know old, and she smokes, and she drinks, and there's just like so many things. But she said, "I heard you're having car problems," and I said, "Yeah." She says, "Well, you make your way down to your brother's house in Yosemite, and there's a truck sitting there waiting for you." <laughs> I mean, before this all happened, I was praying. I was just like, "God, help me with this. This is crazy," you know. And it was like FedEx, bam, just like that. It's like, wow, that's fast. UPS couldn't even be better than that. It's incredible what God does for us. But we've got to put our faith into that. Um, a few years back, I lived in Sausalito, and I uh, was playing hacky sack. 
And as I was playing hacky sack, I, uh, I lost my footing. We were crouching tiger, man. I was just up there just getting down with this hacky sack and I, my feet embedded into this strong, hard asphalt and I lost my footing. My foot stayed there and I twisted my leg all the way around. And everyone said it sounded like a chicken snapping its bone. It just hurt. I went into shock. I had no insurance. I had nothing. I was just devastated. I was a chef at Sausalito. And I couldn't afford insurance, so I left it that way for two years. And I hopped around in the in the in the uh, in the in the kitchen, feeding 300 kids every day. And um, you know, my boss was really kind, and he said, you know, just do what you got to do, you know. And so I get, I threw out the crutches because I would try to hop with the crutches, and I'd just lose my footing on the on the really slick surface. So I would just hop around. And I would just heat and ice and heat and ice. My, my leg, you could just hear it. And, and it would separate every once in a while. I mean, my leg would just separate. And oh, it was so much pain. I left it that way for two years. And three surgeries later, I was in a wheelchair. And I was in a wheelchair for about eight months. I was out of a leg for 18 months, you know. And I just, I didn't realize how important my leg was <laughs> until I lost it. And it's the same thing with our with our eyes. You know, our eyes... And our ears are the most important part to reach to our souls. Jesus had so many things to reach out to us through our ears and our eyes. And what he spoke to us made, made magnitudes, made mountains, and we have the same ability. But sometimes there's people out there that haven't been able to use their eyes yet. There's a lady that I just found out. It's a, another fascinating story that um, they've discovered a way. And this lady, I believe, is in Connecticut. And um, they can now they can remove a piece of your tooth long ways, very thin piece of it, and put it inside your retina and use it as a stool that, that creates this ability to grow around the rest of your eye. And now this lady can read large print of Reader's Digest. She's been blind all her life. That's amazing. I mean, using your, and it's using your eye tooth of all things. It's like, wow, that's funny. That's pretty funny. It's amazing what you, what you miss when you don't have your eyes. And what I want to get into today is John chapter 9, which is about the man that was born blind and how Jesus healed him. And um, before you, you look at that, you know, you guys, I would like you to open up your Bibles and we can take a look at that all together. Um, but I want to kind of lay a forefront of what happened before this whole story had, had come about. You've got to remember at this point, um, Jesus... If you read in chapter 8, Jesus was in a really heated argument with these Pharisees and these Sadducees. Um, the Jews were just extremely upset with him. They, they, they got to the point because, you know, he was doing all these things. And then, and then he, they would ask him, who are you? Who are you? And he would say, I'm the son of God. I am God. I am here as your Messiah. And they would just say, that is such blasphemy. How dare you? So at this point, they were ready to stone him, not because of his works, but because they believed he was blasphemy. So he had to leave the temple. He had to leave the temple. And so this is where it gets to this point, to where Jesus is out of the temple now, and it's a beautiful day. And somewhere along the lines, of the, the disciples must have been somewhere, but um, they appear into the scene. And so they're following Jesus. 
And so in verses 1, it says, As he went along, he saw this blind man from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? If you remember, I don't know if any, any of you know much about the culture back then. I didn't know much about it. I have to remind you that I'm, I'm only two years old. Okay, I was baptized um, at the Willits Church. And um, so just just that alone you know i i've learned a lot you know just in the past two years and and um because i'm on a fast track i think with god you know and he's he's put me on this accelerated plan that i have to adhere things and move on and hear things and move on but you know i discovered a lot about the, the culture back then um you know people that were um that were blind that had any type of disease or any of these things from birth you know the only way that the Pharisees could answer the reason for that was is because, well, obviously your parents had sinned. And so because of that, you are a sinner. You're being punished for that. So the rabbi, as he was walking by, you know, just happened to be walking by this blind man. And, the, and so the disciples were really curious about this. Okay, so if he, if he claims to be the Messiah, and we're really getting to this point, you know, he's, he's really proving us that he is the Messiah. Okay, so then what about this then? I mean, here, here's this idea that, that humans have brought about that, you know, we, we're punished because of this. So, so why is it that this man is born, born blind? And, and Jesus comes about with a really good answer. is neither this man nor his parents sin. But this happens so that he, would, so that he work, might work, the, the work of God might be displayed in, him, in his life. That as long as, the day, as long as it's day, we must do the work of him who sent me. Night is coming. When no one can work, while I'm in the world, I am the light of that world. So Jesus has kind of explained to them that there's no reason for it. There's no reason why he was born blind. There was no punishment for it. But watch what happens. That's what Jesus was going to lay to them. It's just watch what happens. And I think this is the part where you're going to see a dividing line between what man believes and what God gave us. There's a big, big difference there. And see, the understanding in those times would be that since you're such a, you're a horrible person. And Ellen White had put it really elegantly. I liked how she put it in The Desire of Ages. She said, it was generally believed that the Jews that sin is punished in this life. Every affliction was regarded as penalty of some wrongdoing, either of the suffering himself or of his parents. It is true that all suffering results from the transgressions of God's law, but the truth had become perverted. Satan, the author of, all, author of sin and all its results, had led men to look upon disease, death, and proceedings from God as punishment arbitrarily inflicted on account of sin. Hence, once... Hence, one upon whom some great affliction or calamity had fallen an additional burden of being regarded as a great sinner. So in other words, not only does this person don't even know what it's like to have eyes like everybody else, he is nothing. He is nothing in this world. He has to sit there against a wall and just ask people for help. And because... Man has created in everybody's mind these, these leaders that have appointed themselves 
or were that were given this this leadership by God have perverted it so bad that this man that sits upon a wall suffers because of his blindness and nobody recognizes him. That's such a sad story. How sad is that? So, but Jesus got another plan. I like how he did this too. So having said this, Jesus spit on the ground, made some mud and with the saliva and put it on a man's eyes and told him, now go into the pool of asylum, which this word means sent. So the man went to asylum and washed and he came home seen. Now, I don't know. I would like you to just picture in your mind just for a minute if you were blind all your life. This guy, I believe he was 38 years old. So for 38 years of his life, he was blind. So you don't even have the ability to imagine what anything looks like. So if you're, you're struggling your way to a, to a pool that Jesus had sent you to and you have only no idea who this man is, but some, you can feel somebody's fingers rubbing against your eyelids and, and, and you're walking to this, to, this, to this pool and then you all of a sudden start seeing things. I mean, just imagine that for a moment. When I was a kid... You know, we, we played around the house um, this one game. I would, we would just close our eyes, and we'd force ourselves to close our eyes. And we'd try to stay our, keep our eyes closed for as long as possible. And we'd get so lost in the house, and I'd be stuck in the closet, and I wouldn't know where I'm going. And I just couldn't take it anymore. I just had to see what was going. What, where, where was I? I was like, oh, I'm in the closet. You know, I never had any idea. I could not picture in my mind what it would be like all your life, not even to identify what material things look like or what the sky looks like. I mean, to even identify. And this guy, he can see. And what we're taking for granted, this guy is just jumping up and down about. It's like, I can see. That's just a fascinating part of it right there. That that's got to be an explanatory just such an enormous amount of energy must have came out of this guy. You know, that he could feel what a face looks like. He can see what eyes look like. And what is this? And what is that? And people might be showing him. But let's get to the neighbors. So, so the neighbors and those uh, who had formerly seen the beggar said, Isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. Others said, No, he only looks like him. But he himself insisted, I am the man. How then were your eyes open, they demanded. He replied, the man they, that they called Jesus had put some mud and put it on my eyes and told me to go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed, and then I could see. Where is this man, they asked him. I don't know, he said. So even the neighbors are sitting there going, you know, this is a, this is a joke. This is a hoax. And... I wonder myself, where would I be? I ask myself these questions when I, when, I, when I read the Bible. Where would I be in this time? You know, if I was a neighbor, you know, I'd probably be right there with them going, you know, this is a hoax, man. You know, give me a break. But it's, it's really interesting how us as humans, as, as God's children, even as God's children or people don't believe in God, how we treat people sometimes when... Things that we don't think could possibly happen, happen, you know, and we discredit that for one reason or another. And um, I think that the, I think the neighbors were putting themselves in doubt 
you know, trying to convince each other of doubt. Because if, if they didn't, then there might be some other consequence that might happen. And we're going to get to that. Because what they do is they go, well, you know, we, we don't know because we're not educated as well. But the Pharisees are. So let's take them to the Pharisees. They know everything. You know, they, they've been handed this leadership. So we should put them to the test and say, okay, you know, uh, you need to talk to this man because he's freaking out. He is excited and there's something wrong. There's something wrong with this picture. It's a joke. It has to be a, a, a trick. So the Pharisees, they, they brought him to the Pharisees and the man, the man who was born blind. Now on that day which Jesus had made the mud and opened the eyes was on the Sabbath. Therefore, the Pharisees who, who also asked him how he received the sight. He put mud on my eyes, the man replied, and I wash and now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not of God. For he does not keep the Sabbath. See, once they found out that, that Jesus did this, they're just going, oh my gosh, not again. This guy is just, he's causing us all kinds of problems. But then they had him. Ah, oh, he did it on the Sabbath. That's it. He's a sinner. That's it. But see, the, the, the really deceitful thing about this is, is even as they're sitting there saying about this man, about what he did on the Sabbath, they were planning on killing him on the Sabbath. What is that? It's like you guys have gone so far over the edge that you're ready to kill somebody on your Sabbath. And because of why? Because he's breaking the Sabbath. Hold on, excuse me, I'm sorry, but... What is that? I, as I read it, I, but I, I, lay, I lay these kind of, these templates that, that Jesus gives me as, as stories, and I, I do, I see it sometimes in our world. You know, we, we have the ability to be blind too. You know, it's just not exclusive to the Pharisees in these stories. You know, um, when, when, um, when I was a kid, I, I left home at 13. I ran away from home. I met my wife at 14. We had a child when I was 18. I had, um. I, I, I lived on the streets, and my, my wife, we didn't get married until we were 18, but we were together from 14 on. And um, she lived in a foster home in Greeley Hill. I lived in Mariposa. This was a really long distance. We, uh, she, she, they didn't have any high school up in Greeley Hill. So the, the bus would have to come and pick them up and take them to Mariposa. That was the closest high school. Highway 49 is an extremely windy road. And it is an hour and a half drive. But I would have to hitchhike. I got in a fight with the principal. We got in this fist fight. He kicked me out of school. So I had to go to the bad kid's school. I was a mess. I was a mess. I, I was just so blind. I was so distraught. And um, so I, I, but I, was really, I was really madly in love with this girl. I was really, I thought I was, fascinated over this girl. So I would hitchhike to Greeley Hill after work, after school, um, and and I would make my way down there. There maybe be one or two cars that would go down Highway 49 at the time, but you know for some reason someone would always picked me up, and I'm, I was this long-haired stoner kid that had these. The, I could find the longest spikes that I could put in my leather jacket on one arm, and then I had this attachment on the other arm that was a half a saw blade. And I thought I was bad, man, you know. And I thought she liked that. 
And I would knock on this foster parent's door. <laughs> and they would go, come on in. We love you. You know, and I'm just like, cool. <laughs> They're Christians. They were Christians. I just was like, why? Why would somebody do that? I mean, now that I think about it, I just go, oh, I just don't know if I would. I'd be like, my foster parent's daughter likes you. would be like, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, we're going away to shop or something now. We'll see you later. But, uh, you know, I mean, we do that, right? I mean, I'm just as bad. I'm, you know, sometimes, you know, we let these things kind of fill us up with uh, negativity. You know, I was, by the time I was 15, I was selling methamphetamines. I, I was, I, I got hooked up with a lot of older people because I had nowhere else to go. And so they let me stay at their home. And so um, I, the guy that I was cooking with happened to be hooked up with this biker gang. And so then I became this gopher for, the, for this biker gang. And so I was selling, you know, to the high schoolers. And, and I was really doing some really bad things. And I was still with my, my girlfriend, who's going to be my wife pretty soon. And, and um, you know, we, we had some really, really ugly times. You know, I would wake up. You know, in, in my 20s, I would wake up and we'd call it the big red X, you know, because I'd have this big red X in my eyes. I'd be hung over and, and uh, you know, and everyone would just go, yeah, you got, that, you got that big red X on. You know, I was so blind to what God wanted me to do. And it took a long time for that to all just be disseminated. It took years and years. You know, I, I felt like, a, I felt like a, a harlot and Satan was... The madame. Let's put it in a very ginger way. There's other ways that I've seen it on the streets in San Francisco that are different than that. But it was like, you know, Satan gives me all those things. He gave me cigarettes and he gave me drugs and he gave me beer and he gave me everything. And then two years ago when I decided, you know, I'm going to commit myself. It was like, he's going, no, you're not. I've given you everything that you need. How dare you? And he would kick me in the teeth, you know, and you would see this. I mean, if you've been down in San Francisco, you could see this action taking place between the harlot and the madame. We'll just play it gingerly. We don't call them that, but there's children present. It's really, really devastating. And you would think that that's true. That, you know, Satan, you know, I gave you everything. How dare you leave me? But I did. I picked up my chains and said, absolutely not. That's what Jesus does. But they don't believe that. There's a lot of doubt that gets filled into these people's minds because how could it possibly be that this is the Messiah? If you remember now, the Jews at this time believed that Moses came along and um, some of them believed that Moses was the Messiah, if I remember rightly. And then others said, no, that we do have a Messiah coming, but he's going to come with a sword. This is what the Jews apparently believed, that their Messiah was coming with a sword, a general that's going to march into Rome, and he's going to take them down with this sword, physically, with their eyes and with what they could hear. They knew that that's what their, their Messiah was, that there's going to be no more oppression in, in Rome. And they're going to lift him up on this throne made of gold and take him on with these, with these beautiful crowns of, of jewels and, and they're going to parade him around and say, this is our Messiah. It's not so. He came walking in on a donkey. 
I think that's awesome. I think that's the greatest thing. It's like, hmm. You know, so materialistic, you know, people can be. You know, how we present what we force, what we want our Messiah to be. And um, it's not true. It's so not true. Some of the Pharisees um, started to ask, how can a sinner do such miraculous signs? And so they were divided. And this is where everyone starts to question these things because, you know, they're really trying to find a way to put this guy down. They're really getting sick and tired of Jesus. Finally, they turned to the blind man. What do you have to say about him? The one that opened your eyes. And the man replied, he is a prophet. The Jews still did not believe that he had been born blind and received sight until they sent for his parents. And this is a really, this is what's so heartbreaking. You know, um, like I said before, that the, um, the, the, the people in those times were so, um, so deprived. They were forced to believe a lot of things. Um, you couldn't just freely believe in something and then try to walk around and, and, and express that in any manner that would not cause problems. And um, so when Jesus is walking around and doing all these miracles and signs, the Pharisees are like, if you, if you follow him, we're going to stop you from going in the synagogues. And, and um, Ellen White put it in this way, um, at the time that should be excluded from the synagogue for 30 days. During this time, no child can be circumcised, nor the dead be laminated of the offender's home. The sentence was regarded as a great calamity, and if failed to produce any repentance, farther penalties followed. So if you were caught with Jesus walking around, I mean, it might not be important to us. We might not be able to wrap that around in our minds, but this caused all kinds of problems. It would be like saying, you can't go to the store and get any gas. You can't. You're, you just have to stay in your homes. You are not going to do We're going to take all the food away. You're going to starve because you're believing in this man, in this blasphemous man. How dare you? You know, he should be saving us. That's basically what the whole bottom line is, is that he should have been saving us. Not a beggar, not a low life. And so because of that, the parents were afraid to even announce that, yeah, you know, I, maybe this did happen because he is our son. And this did happen to him. But they were so afraid of what these people were going to do to him and not be rejoiced about what God just did. That they, they denounced even their own son. I can imagine these people... As, as days went on, day by day, you'd see your son sitting there begging, knowing that your son, and that I would think that me being a parent, would I be so mad at my son because he oppressed us? Because the crowd knows he's my son. That means we sinned. That means we're horrible. I mean, wow, how horrible can Satan twist so many things around because of our selfishness. And I wonder, you know, where would I be as a Pharisee? What would I do? Would I actually be sitting there agreeing with these people? You know, I would pray that I wouldn't, but man, in all honesty, I don't know, man. Sometimes I think, well, I would would hope not. But being a blind man myself, you know, knowing what this guy goes through or what he went through, being on one side of the fence and then coming to the other side and going, I can see, 
you know, I would say no, no, because this guy here has something to say. And he does it so well. I love how the blind man just, just he serves these people. He really does. Um, now we know he is our son, the parents answered. And we know that a, he was born blind, but he can see now or opened his eyes or who opened his eyes. We don't know. Ask him. He's of age. He will speak it for himself. You know, it's so sad. They, they discredit the whole thing. They just, you know, it's on him. You know, we don't want any part of this because we won't be able to be inside the synagogue. You know, in some synagogue. I mean, what kind of synagogue is that? I just, it's so sad how, how Satan can tear up our lives like this, can separate man from his, from his children, you know, take away the whole idea that, that we should be loving in the first place. With that, his parents said, ask him he's of age. A second time, they summoned the man who had been born blind. Give glory to God, they said. We know this man is a sinner. He replied, whether the man is a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know is I was blind and now I can see. He doesn't even care how it happened. He's just, he can see. He didn't have to be this way. He was a loser. He was a nothing why? Why did God do this for him? You know? And this is really ticking off those the, the Pharisees. And they're saying, give glory to God. You know, he did this. He did this through that man. You know, he could do it through us too. And it's, he's thinking, well, really? Oh, is that a fact? He replied, whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. I can see. Then they ask him, what, what did he do to you? Now that your eyes are open, he answered, I told you already, and you do not listen. Why do you not want to hear it again? Or why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become one of his disciples too? <laughs> I thought that's great. I mean, he's just so, he's so bumbly about it. He's just like, you know, don't you want to be one of the, look what he did for me. I mean, he could do it for you. He could do it. He could do it. He could, I, I wonder if he could raise the dead, you know? <laughs> and they just, they had it at this point. They started hurling insults at him. And they started shouting curse words. And they started telling him, we are disciples of Moses. We don't even know who this man is. Ooh, that speaks magnitudes right there. We don't know who this man is. Because why? Because he's supposed to come with a sword. And he's supposed to take down the whole Roman Empire. And raise us. We're supposed to raise him up on a throne can't be our Messiah. How humanistic is that? So the man answered, now that, and I like this, this is where the blind man starts getting really sarcastic, and he goes, now that's remarkable. You don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes? Now we all know that God only listens to, does not listen to sinners, he only listens to godly men who does his will, Nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. Don't you guys read your Bibles? You're Pharisees. It's like you just got served. And the funny thing is, is that the, that the Pharisees are sitting there going, okay, what else are we going to ask them? And they can just talk to them. And they run over and they talk about it. They'd ask him another question and then they'd go and talk about it again. And by this time, Ellen White put it really elegantly. She said that they just started grabbing their robes. 
talked against each other like as if he was some inflicted disease. And they did not like him at all. And they had nothing else more to say. Because why? Because they were in the crowd. And people started noticing that this man had really done something miraculous. And now instead of being able to put the crowd in belief of the Pharisees, they were actually destroying the own purpose that they were trying to do in the first place. Which is put this man to shame and let the crowd stone them, stone him for themselves. And instead, he started, just from this moment on, started making believers out of Jesus. And they didn't like that. And they shouted at him. And they said, get out, get out now. And they started throwing stones at him. And they chased this blind man away. How many times have I been chased away? You know? Because of what Jesus did. I, I worked for a lady and a man not too long ago up in, up in the Angwin area. Very, very conservative Christians. I love them so much. They are wonderful people. They really are. And um, they're from Egypt. And, uh, and they moved here you know, years and years ago. But you can tell, clearly tell they're from, you know, she told me she was from Egypt. You can clearly tell too. She had a very beautiful Egyptian accent and um and she'd ask me you know tell me about yourself you know oh you're a theology student tell me about yourself and I'd tell her well I was you know I was 14 on my on the streets I sold drugs I was horrible I did so many things bad I've done so many things and and she would just be like oh my ears are burning no 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 and and um afternoon came along and she says don't you dare tell my husband these things and I was like why and she's all, he will kick you out. He'll kick you out. <laughs> I'm thinking, no, wait a minute. I mean, you know, we're not all Adventists here. We, we weren't born Adventists. It's not like you are born in this giant bubble and you just kind of float around with, you know, these, you know, you go to Rio Lindo and yep, yep, yep. I mean, you know, and get married and, you know, it just not all the time happens that way. Jesus just doesn't meet everybody in that area. He just doesn't see everybody as doctors. He's not supposed to. We're not supposed to. So as time progressed and I was working for this lady, um, a couple days later, as I was professing to her how I came to Jesus, and, you know, and he really did some amazing things through me and to me, you know, she said, you know, if I, never, if, if I, if I knew about this stuff that you had done, I would have never let you in my home. I was just like, wow. And uh, long story short, I didn't end up finishing the job. It wasn't my choice either, but I, uh, I just wonder, I go, why? Why? I mean, and it's not the only people I've seen do that. You know, there's a, there's a difference between a community and a fortress, you know? And sometimes we have a community and sometimes we just have a fortress, you know, and when we just have a community, we're so deluded, we don't know what Jesus is anymore. But when we just have a fortress, you know, we start to build up that wall and we start to close those windows and we start raising the drawbridge. We can't do that. We can't hold Jesus just to ourselves. It's not what Jesus did. He got his hands dirty. The dirtiest that anybody ever could imagine. 
And that's what I see in these Pharisees I sometimes see in us and I, as well as myself. So what happens? This man gets chased out of town. You know, and I like this part too, is that he got chased out of town. But what happens? Jesus goes and finds him. Isn't that amazing? I think that is so beautiful. I mean, he doesn't go and search out Jesus. He's too happy. He's just going, that's a face. And that's, what is that? Eyes. Woo. That's a sheep. That's a cow. This is beautiful. This is awesome. And everyone's just going, get away from me. You know, I mean, we take all these things for granted. And you're just going, what a weirdo. This guy is, he's been blessed. And I think by the time he got to the point where he was talking to these Pharisees, man, I know for a fact that he was filled with the Holy Spirit. And that's why he could serve those Pharisees. Because he knew that this was the Messiah. It had to have been. To be no different. But he didn't know where he was. But the great thing is, is that Jesus found him. And in 35, it says, Jesus heard that they threw him out. And when he found him, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? He didn't say, hey, I'm the Son of Man. No, he, he asked him, whoa, whoa. Do you believe in the Son of Man? I think that's a really important question right there. You know, because if you don't believe in him, then what was the whole purpose of it in the first place? You know, what are you going to do with that? What are you going to do with that? Now that you can see, what are you going to do? Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell so that I may believe in him. And Jesus said, you have now seen him. In fact, he's the one speaking with you. That's beautiful. Then he just threw himself on the ground and started worshiping him. You know, uh, John has an awesome way of, of ex- expressing his, uh, his delightment with Jesus. You know, it was said that, that, that John was the one that laid his hand, I mean, laid his head on Jesus' chest. His, his ears were right at his heart all the time. Um, John, John's one of my, one of my uh, favorite disciples because he had such a good way of illustrating. He was horrible at grammar. I mean, the more and more I read ancient Greek out of John, it's just, we just go, you know, well, God had to work with humans, <laughs> you know. It's like, mm. But he had such a good way of illustrating such beautiful things. Another thing that I thought was so fascinating what John wrote if you look back in verses 6, I thought this was absolutely fascinating. It's that Jesus said, Having said this, he spit on the ground and made some mud with the saliva and put it on the man's eyes. And that really jumped out at me. Okay, so Jesus takes his spit and mixes it in the ground. If you take a look in there in Genesis chapter 2 and verse 7. Why don't everybody try and turn to chapter 2 and verse 7. And what is it saying there? It says, The Lord formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and then became a living being. I look at that and I go, Wow, Jesus, the living water, takes his spit 
and takes God's dirt, mixes it up, and makes this clay and makes this man a new man, just like he did with me. It's, it's not significant of the material, but what God, what Jesus did, you know, for what reason? No reason. Just because he loves him. His mercy. I thought that was fascinating though. It was like a, it's like John was showing us the culmination in the, 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 the covenant that Jesus has with God. That it is one. It's one solid gas and liquid all together. One. But he had a culmination with God using what God has and using what Jesus has to make a new man. I thought that was just fascinating. So what happens? So Jesus says, now you have seen him. In fact, he's the one speaking with you. And Jesus said, for judgment, I have come into this world so that the blind man will see and those who will see will become blind. That was a very powerful statement to the Pharisees because they saw and they became even farther into the darkness. They got even more angry. And some of the Pharisees, though, they asked him, what, are we blind too? And Jesus said, if we were blind, if you were blind, you would not be guilty of your sin. But now you claim you can see. Your guilt remains. That reminds me of just, the, the I, I learned this prayer because it did make so much sense about the victory of Jesus. And that is, you know, Lord, take away my eyes from this world, you know, and put in your eyes so I can see this world the way that you want to see it, not the way I want to see it. You know, what did the what did the Pharisees do? They even got more angry. They were so upset at this time. I believe that this chapter right here was was the defining line for people all of eternity to look at themselves and say there's a, there's this line right here and we're divided where are we going you know the the pharisees they had they had the laws binded on their arms and they had them binded on their forehead but they forgot about their chest their heart sometimes we do that you know we forget about those people out there you know um, we have this fortress and we put we put Jesus in that fortress, and then we close it up. We try to hold it in. I was I was so flabbergasted that how can you hold Jesus in your home and not take it out there and express it to other people? You know, Jesus Jesus couldn't do that. It's not that's not in His blood. It's not in, in our, it shouldn't be in our blood. That's not the whole purpose. We need to come out there and reach out to all people. I picked up some pot-smoking hitchhikers last night. Threw in a tape. You know, by the time I dropped them off, they're like, God bless you. <laughs> yeah, God bless you too, man. It can happen. You know, it, just, because, just because they're sitting in a bar doesn't mean that they can't be a child of God too. You know? We all came from, some, some of us came from really bad backgrounds. You know? The thing is, is that that Jesus, though, he uses a lot of these parables. 
And I like the reason why he explained that he uses these parables because I think it's a way of helping us try to exercise a muscle that we don't use very much. And that's our heart. And that's our experience. But if you turn to Matthew 13, verses 12, Jesus explains, you know, because he uses so many parables. And he says in there, this is why I speak to them in parables. Those seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not hear or understand. In them I fulfill the prophecy of Isaiah. You will never be hearing, but never understanding. You'll ever be hearing, but never understanding. You'll ever be seeing, but never perceiving. For this people have become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears, they hardly, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, and understand with their hearts, and turn. And then I would heal them. There's a lot of people out there that don't want to hear it. And that's fine. I dealt with that this morning. With a lady who just believes in paganism. That's okay. But you can't eliminate the factor of love. You know, at least germinate a little bit of that seed to her. As much as you can. It's not my choice. It's her choice. But it's God that gives it to her. But I got to do something. You can't just leave, let these people believe that you don't believe in love. Or you don't believe in Jesus. Even if they don't believe it. You could do it through your example. And you know the funny thing is you can repeat it, repeat it, and repeat it, and repeat it. And after a while, it's been proven. People will start following They threw a bunch of people inside an elevator one time as an experiment. And one person did some really off-the-wall things in that elevator. And they put the other people in with them. But they had this placebo amount of people. So all these people were staged except for two people. And they all had these, these things to do. And the two people that were not knowing what was going on started doing exactly what they were doing. They didn't know why. They didn't know why. They just... They just felt like they had to do it. It's not brainwashing. But sometimes we might need our brains washed. You know, especially in, in this world. You know, and, and um, your, guilt, your guilt can still remain if you continue to believe that Jesus is just for myself and I don't have um, anything else to give. You have, everybody has something to do out there. Whether, you know, whether it be just a smile, you, you would be amazed at what can happen if you just smile at people. You know, they can bring magnitudes. I've seen it. I've done it. It's fun, actually. You actually see a lot of different things in people. I've asked people, I, I did this as a Bible study, and I sat down with a group of people, and we talked, I'm, I don't know these people, and I've talked to these people but these people knew each other and they didn't know some of the things that they, that, that they discovered that night about their friends that they didn't know about. It opened up all kinds of things. What are we blind of? You know? I, as I said before, you know, I'm, I'm only two years old, but um, I, uh, 
I've been, I've been kicked in the teeth. The, 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 the journey with Jesus is not one that is you know, going to be simple. And it shouldn't be either. It shouldn't be. Because if it was simple, we'd be so spoiled. We'd be stiff-necked. Wouldn't we? We'd be so stiff-necked. But I wrote this um, a couple of months back. I said, the reason why guilt remains is because they don't see that we are all sinners just the same. Do this I can say for even a wretch like me, Life can be whole and reunited with him once again. For once I was blind, but now I see. God's mercy is the way God says he has set me free. You know, the word sent is really, really powerful in this too. You know, the, the pool of sent. You know, I, in Willits, you know, I was baptized up there and I was looking back and I realized, wait a minute, this is my scent. I was looking at the pool. That's where you guys sent me. This is where Jesus sent me. That's my pool of scent. When I walked into the aisles, I could wash my eyes right there. And that's what you guys did for me. You know, you guys, you can do magnitudes. You saw that guy. You know, he can do all kinds of things. You know, it's it's just not exclusive. You know. So, when you walk out, just, you know, just remember that you you have a responsibility to do and that's to share your love with God with people out there they, they might be rude they might be nasty they might be mean but they got a heart you know they might be callous but it can be softened God can move mountains and I pray that you guys can do the same and I'm assured that you do and thank you God bless you guys